Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, before we get started, I just wanted to mention, if you're listening to the show and you'd like to... um, get some more information about all the things that we're doing, feel free to reach out to our website at womentowatch.net. And that's women, the number two, watch.net. This morning, I have a wonderful lady visiting us from New York, and her name is Wendy Clausen. And Wendy is a technologist and a leadership coach. Thanks so much for joining us today, Wendy. Hello, Susan. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about you and and your life and, of course, um, some of the work that you're doing and uh, the book that you've written. But um, as we always do, I'm going to start out with your younger years and, and talk a little bit about what your aspirations were as a young girl and some of the things you were involved in as a child. So (laughs) tell us where you grew up and and a little bit about your family. Oh, goodness. I wasn't prepared for that one. I thought we'd dive into my adult life. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, just a little bit. Yeah, I didn't do my homework. Uh, Let's see. I grew up on Long Island. Okay. And I have uh, parents who we're very much in love, which is a real blessing to grow up with. And I have an older sister. Okay. And as a kid, I was a bit odd being a girl and really into video games and yeah, so toy you, stuff. That, so that technology um, piece of you came from the from the get-go? Yeah, from the get-go. Yeah. I was kind of like the outsider to my, my sister and my mom's very feminine Oh, okay. Energies and interests. Yeah. <laughs> That's tough. You know, we talk a lot about females and um, technology in yeah. here, and, and we will today. Yeah, yesterday I actually saw this talk where someone from uh, Etsy, I think, was speaking about uh, diversity and how when you grow up and you're an outsider, it feels odd. And yeah. that's something that's on your mind a lot, it actually makes you less creative because of the stresses of being the odd one out. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. I was always like one of the only women in college in my professional career, but I never really felt that way. I was like, oh, because I was the odd one up in my childhood. <laughs> so well, it's just like the way life was. Well, you know that whatever you know was going on in our head as young girls, that always stays with you, right, <laughs> as an adult. Um, but it's interesting because it's such a hot topic now, women and technology, and there's all kinds of organizations and groups and women trying mm-hmm. to encourage young girls to go into technology. And there is that creative piece behind it. You know, your your look as a software mm-hmm. um, engineer, you're trying to find ways to um, make life simpler and better. That comes before all of the coding and everything, right? It, it does. Uh, in my experience, the coding, the actual technical solution is a very small percentage of the overall what you're actually trying to achieve. Yeah. The so- programming is a tool. Right. It's really you're trying to solve a problem. Right. So a software developer is a good problem solver. Right. And so it's really, um, unfortunately, gets put into the box of technology. And as we evolve, because it's a very early young practice, it's not like building bridges or buildings. Right. It's like we're using sticks and stones still. Yeah. Um, and so as it evolves, I'm interested to see how it becomes more and more creative. 
that's actually quite interesting to think that it's only, you know, in, in the early stages. Oh, my God. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> it's like the, the, the possibilities of technology we've only have scratched the surface. Not even. Wow. In my opinion. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, let's go back to high school then. What, yeah, was, high what school. were your high school years like? Where did you go? Was it a. Um, I went course? to a public school. Okay. Um, I played bass guitar. I was a total metalhead. <laughs> Tim likes that. Rock on. Um, and yeah, I started dating uh, my daughter's father when I was a senior in high school. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. And then I went to Stony Brook University for college. Right. And I was originally going to be a math teacher because I was good at math mm-hmm. um, and I like science and that's what everyone told me to do. And uh, Kaylee's father was like, you like you could do something else like you could do anything yeah and I was like hi I never really thought about that I'm like I'll try engineering it seems like it will be hard and so I actually (laughs) started a challenge I wanted a challenge yeah it was pretty bored until I started to do engineering Um, and I started with mechanical engineering because I really liked cars and I'm like oh design cool cars Uh, but then I started mechanical engineering I was like oh no, <laughs> this it's is not too hard. Not too hard, just not interesting to me, the types of physics and math that were involved with it. Mm-hmm. But I happened to have taken a programming class, which is in this language called Fortran. So maybe, I don't know if any of the listeners have used that language, but I just, I really loved programming. And okay. so I'm like, all right, I'll change to computer engineering because um, I wanted that engineering title. I was like, yeah. I can't do computer science. I need to be an engineer. Yeah. Um, and so computer engineering is pretty interesting. It's a lot of electrical engineering. Yeah. What is, is, what is okay. the difference? I mean, there's a lot of terms, you know, in, in technology. A lot of terms, yeah. Right. So explain for me and for the listeners the difference between um, uh, the science and the and the programming and the the different terms. Yeah. So if you're going to go like academic, computer science is a lot about the theory. It's a lot about algorithms and how logic works. Whereas programming, like I said, it's a tool. And if you have a background in the theory, you can create the tools, but you'll notice in a lot of um, people with no background in computer science can come in and program. Okay. So you don't necessarily need that theoretical background. Right. Um, And then software engineering, you could say, is kind of the application, almost like applied math, like you have mathematics and then applied math. Software engineering is applying that theory Okay. To create solutions to problems. Right. And then you can start to bring in other ideas. Like yeah. you have a client and they have a need and they have a problem and you're solving the problem. Right. So you, But you graduated with the degree of a computer engineer. Yeah. So computer engineering is very focused on hardware. Mm-hmm. So the hardware is the actual electronics behind. Like building it? Yeah. And so the types of languages used with hardware are assembly and embedded systems. And I actually started my career working in... Uh, with airplanes, creating fuel gauges for airplanes, which sounds so much cooler than it is. It's actually really boring to work on. It's a hard fail system, so you, you can't make a mistake. You know, okay. so you, there's no room for experimentation yeah. or trying to create a new solution. It's kind of like, we know how it works. Oh, right. Put we it know together. how to fix the problem. Got this it. is just a slightly different plane than the other one. Yeah. So it was okay. pretty boring. And then I switched more into object-oriented programming, which is what makes most of the software you use. Okay. So when you graduated then, did you have a clear idea of, of where you wanted to take that degree? Yeah. What I, was your first job? At? Yeah, I loved software development. I fell in love with it. Um, so my first job was working in a consulting company mm-hmm. where we did a huge number of different projects for different clients, different languages. And it was really a great way to learn a lot. Yeah. 
Now, let me ask you this. A, a, a big part of your story and, and why you're here today is to talk about not only your, your career and your professional life, but your personal life. And you mentioned meeting your husband in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, did you stay together through college and, and beyond? Or we, did you come back did. together? You did. No, we stayed together in, in college. Um, and we got married in a few years after college. I think we were engaged the year after college and got married the and, year after okay. that. Okay. What year was that? Uh, 2003, we 2003. got married. Yeah. Okay. And um, you you suffered from um, uh, <laughs> something that we're going to talk about yeah. that's kind of, you know. I suffered I had, and I was gifted. It was, it's yeah. always about the perspective. Yeah. Well, I wanted, I mean, I know that you were diagnosed with cancer mm-hmm. and it was the first year that your daughter. Uh, yeah, it was off. actually the week. Her birthday. It was the week of her birthday. Yeah. Um, and I was diagnosed with um, cancer. And I'm going to let you t- say the name of the cancer <laughs> because it's very rare, very, very rare, and I couldn't yeah. even attempt to pronounce it. Alveolar rhabdomyosarcoma. Okay. So for the listeners, mm-hmm. it's a very, very rare cancer that's yeah. typically diagnosed in children. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, it's typically diagnosed in children. I believe 200 to 300 children in the United States will get it a year. Um, rhabdomyosarcoma has several different subtypes, so I think it makes up about 3% of all childhood cancers. So childhood cancer is pretty uncommon, so 3% of those uncommon is pretty uncommon. But when it comes to adults, maybe a dozen adults in the whole world will get it in a year. So okay. it's really a bizarre thing to see in an adult. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Now, one of the hardest things of course, was the fact that you had to go through treatment and be away from your daughter. Yeah. She was just a, you know, a baby. Yeah, I was the baby wearing, breastfeeding, co-sleeping mama completely attached to my daughter. Uh, and I, I basically was told, like, if you want to live, you have to say goodbye. And that was like the worst day of my life. <laughs> I was like, yeah. You know, oh it's like, it's, you know, you get cancer. And I was like, OK, well, I'll do outpatient treatment because when adults get cancer, it's treated differently than children. I mean, some cancers are treated aggressively, like if you're having a bone marrow transplant. My father had leukemia, so I'm familiar with that route, too. That's a crazy, aggressive path, too. That definitely takes you away from society for a great deal of time. Childhood cancers are interesting because they're very aggressive. They grow very quickly, for the most part. And children are incredibly resilient. So children survive these very aggressive diseases because they can survive the treatment. So basically... The clinical trial, they said, was my chance to live, um, was going to take you to the bottom. And this is something I really didn't understand until I was there. They're just like, we're going to take you low enough so that you don't die, hopefully, and then you can continue with treatment. Yeah. And so I was treated at at Sloan Kettering with the other pediatric patients. Yeah. And I lived at the Ronald McDonald House. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it was uh, a blessing in many ways. Yeah. And you did you actually spend a year there away from your daughter? It was I was home periodically. Mm-hmm. So it depended. Yeah. Um, I had several different regimens of drugs. I had seven different types of chemotherapy and six weeks of radiation. So depending on the drug, sometimes I was impatient with neutropenic fever or uh, other kinds of problems for right. During my time off, and yeah. in those cases, maybe I'd see her for a day or two. Right. Sometimes I'd be home for a week. Um, I think maybe I was there 25% of the year I saw her, mm-hmm. and the vast majority of that time I couldn't even pick her up. I was so sick. Yeah. It took me about six months after treatment to walk around the block. Wow. And again, what this was this 2003? 
This is in 2009 in to nine. 2010. Okay. Treatment not was 11 months ago. long. Yeah, not that long ago. Five years ago. And um, so where was your daughter during that time? That's a good question. Um, she was, for the most part, with my her grandparents, her father's parents. Mm-hmm. And that was a real challenge for me. Um, I was hoping she could be with you know her dad if she wasn't with me. But this disease, this circumstance isn't for everyone. Yeah. And it's very hard. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I've only known you a short time and I, I can see in you um, a, a strength, almost a spiritual strength. And I'm wondering what it was that you said to yourself during those months um, that <laughs> allowed you to know that you were going to get better. Oh, I don't think I knew I was going to get better. You know, I think it so many times I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. But the idea of my daughter not having a mother was horrifying. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, yeah, you're going to do anything you can. Right. And uh, For her. Yeah. And my relationship with her father was very unhealthy. And in many ways, even though I missed her so much when we were separated, in so many ways it was easier to be in the hospital away from my home mm. than in my home. Yeah. And to see and to be there and knowing the things that you couldn't do, I guess, as a mother. As a mother, but also the um, just the unhealthy nature of my relationship, even before I was sick. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that for a couple of minutes? I mean, I... <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's um, people stay in relationships and subtle things happen over time. You don't really notice. Yeah. And then suddenly you're in this place and you're like, you don't know. Like, how did, I, how did I get here? Yeah. How is this okay? But you don't have those thoughts. How is this okay? Yeah. It's well, just something's very wrong. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, something was very wrong. I got very sick. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look like I could get sick. And I couldn't say it was based on my marriage or based on anything else. I'll never know why I got sick. Yeah. Um, it just happened. Right, right. Um, not to say it just happened and it's random. I happen to think everything happens for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there were things that I needed to learn from it. Um, but I was definitely in a relationship that was not healthy. Right. And... Uh, Kaylee's dad had um, his own junk. We all have our junk, right? The voice in our head. Mm-hmm. You know, and some, some people's voices are louder than others. And my problem was that I had so much compassion and understanding for the pain that he was in, mm-hmm. I completely neglected my own. And that's probably one of the biggest lessons I had from my disease was that I can have compassion for someone's pain, but that doesn't mean I need to let it be painful for me. That's right. That's right. That's such a common story in unhealthy relationships. And especially because you met at such a young age, I think when you're younger, Mm -hmm. you don't have these, you know, you don't have the wisdom and these perspectives. And he is like, uh, he looks like Tarzan from the Disney movie. He's a very good looking man and he's incredibly charismatic. And he helped me become an engineer and he inspired me in so many ways, like the best artist I've ever known in my life. He's just such a brilliant person in so many ways. But sometimes the other side of brilliant you know, you could have a person who's super charismatic, mm-hmm. and they're charismatic on one side of the spectrum, but that charismatic can happen on the other side of the spectrum. And when it does, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So so since that time, I mean, obviously, you're sitting here now, and, and you look beautiful and <laughs> well you. and happy, and, and I'm so happy you are. Um, let's talk about the, the, you know, the months following your being well and yeah. and what started to develop in well, your life. Well, it's funny cuz when did the month happen that I was well? Cuz I would yeah. say treatment's over and you're not well. Just yeah. about every 
patient comes out of treatment with post-traumatic stress disorder or the damsocles sword that's how you say the name, uh, dangling over your head. And it's kind of like you you just count the time between scans. Like, is it going to come back? And with a disease like this, um, there were a few other patients at the hospital with my disease. And every every scan, someone else's cancer came back. So this is like a very challenging thing. Yeah. Um, so during that time, I was like, all right, I need to get healthy. And I read Anti-Cancer, which is a phenomenal book. Uh, and it's just had different information about cancer. Like you can shift your diet. And people who shift their diet and start eating an anti-cancer diet, they live longer, but the overall mortality, according to the studies in this book, don't necessarily um, decrease. Okay. Um, you know, you live a few years longer and then the cancer comes back. And you can exercise and you live a little longer, but the cancer comes back. And you can get more sun because actually sun's very important. Mm-hmm. And you live Vitamin a little longer D. and then yeah. it comes back. Yeah. And you can meditate um, and have some kind of mindful practice and you can live a little longer and then comes back. What he found is that you need to do all of these things, that when you combine all of these things, that is how you find health. So in the beginning, I really focused on diet, uh, going outside too. And was somebody, was one of your doctors or or somebody um, in the health industry suggesting that or did you come to this on your own? No, I actually, when I was sick, uh, I was part of the Attachment Parenting International support, local support group. And one of the mothers there, uh, her parents both had cancer and she, she recommended the book. Okay. And when she recommended it, I was way too sick to even read. I couldn't, I couldn't read it at a book. It's funny because when I first I was diagnosed, I was like, oh, I'll have all this time. I can do programs and I'll write and I'll be blogging and I'll do all this stuff. I didn't have time to do when I was a mom because I was a mom right. with a one-year-old working and had no time for anything. And then I got sick and I could just lay there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, this isn't, I imagined I'd be active and I'd be doing all these things. You but were really sick. I was sick. really sick. You were really sick. <laughs> yeah. So, um they, she recommended it. So as soon as I felt well enough, I read the book. And it was the first time I had hope. Like I had control. Yeah. There's something I can do. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, there's something I can do. I can do it. And I became belligerent on the anti-cancer diet. I brought my own foods to Thanksgiving, which I probably pissed my sister off. But you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I think live. she could understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so exercise and meditation was part of it. And I had meditated and tried to meditate and tried to do yoga and they never really worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm like, you know, I'll do yoga. You did that prior to being sick? Uh, A little bit. Yeah. Dabbled. You dabbled Never was serious. Mm -hmm. I was very uh, athletic and I dabbled in the yoga and it was really after I was sick that I was like, okay, well, if I do yoga, I'll get exercise and meditation done at the same time. And I really like being effective yeah (laughs) yeah okay two things one way yeah that's great um boy that went fast that first part of the show we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with wendy clausen and wendy is a technologist and a leadership coach we'll be right back are you the parent of a daughter in middle school If so, I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy. As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. 
This private, all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip, or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, Wealth Management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. 
Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio today with Wendy Clausen. And Wendy is a technologist and a leadership coach. She's uh, visiting from New York. And we're talking about um, Wendy's background, um, uh, her her battle with cancer, um, but her winning that battle. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about um, life you know, right after the treatment and and some of the things that she faced um, as a patient um, and having to go through all of the treatment that she did. So let's talk again about some of the things that, um, you know, I was saying right after, you know, you don't ever come right out of cancer and say, I'm done, you know, I'm healed and I'll, you know, never have to think about it again. Talk about some of the things that you faced following the treatment in the hospital. Yeah, so following the treatment, besides the physical challenges I had. I was very weak. Um, I also had to, I was completely scared, always scanning my body. Uh, any symptom comes up and you're just, your mind goes into a tailspin of what if it's back? What am I going to do? You know what happens when it comes back? Cause you see people in hospital when it comes back and it comes back with a vengeance, especially the disease that I had. Yeah, and we should mention, and you you were so young. You know, you're still young. So Not you, compared to the vast majority of patients well, I was being treated with. Yes, yes, but in the grand scheme of in things. In the grand scheme of things, yeah, yeah. you're very young, and, and we're seeing that, unfortunately, younger and younger. But And, and you were a mom with, with a little girl. Yeah, I had my little, so I needed to live. That yeah. was the, the number one most important thing. Right. And I needed to survive. And the relationships that were hard because people in your lives not everyone people will come out I was so blessed because I was at the Ronald McDonald house and at Sloan Kettering in New York City and my family my father had passed away from cancer and my mom was still working and my sister had a baby the week before I was diagnosed so my family was they did what they could Mm -hmm. they had very limited bandwidth though and then uh, Kaylee's dad's family was pretty much taking care of Kaylee. Mm-hmm. So I was on my own for the most part in the city, but I was too sick to be by myself. And I was really blessed in that I had worked in the city for many years and had great friends that I had been on, you know, programmed with and developed yeah. with and mm-hmm. been on teams with. And they kind of all got together and they, they made this calendar and they're like, you know, put in the days you're going to be here and someone will be with you. People were bringing me food. I always had company. Yeah. Uh, and one person was, when I first got sick, he sent me an email. He's just like, listen, Wendy, um, if the calendar ever has an empty date, you know, call me and I'll drop all my plans and I will come take care of you. Yeah. And he did that. And it was, Friends it was amazing. Friends networks are phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And so when I went back home, I wasn't with my city friends anymore. You know, the people who were there for me, I was surrounded by a lot of people who weren't. And even if it was out of their control or they did the best that they could, it was very hard to reconcile that in my head. Yeah. You know, why wasn't Kaylee with me? Yeah. yeah. And this is back in Long Island? Then? And this is back on Long Island. So I'm back on Long Island and I'm sick and I'm scared I'm going to die. And I'm not really sure what to do. So I start doing yoga. Very, and, and I'm cooking a lot. 
cooking all the time. Yeah. <laughs> good. Cooking's good. Very I, therapeutic. I, yes, it was very therapeutic. Uh, so I'm cooking all the time, and I start doing very gentle yoga. And by the grace of the universe, there was a little yoga studio very close to my house, and they had gentle yoga, which is 45 minutes one day a week. And I started with that class. You wouldn't even stand up in that class. Like You would sit down. <laughs> I thought I could do you'd, this. You'd maybe down. do some cat-cow. It was truly gentle. You know, you go to a lot of yoga studios and they have the one-star class and you're doing like a sh- full ashtanga and you're doing vinyasa and you're doing the down dog and you're doing the, the plank position. You're doing a lot of things that are Tough tremendously hard. Right. And you can easily get injured if you don't have proper alignment. Yeah. So I was really blessed to be able to go to a studio that really supported anybody. And so I was doing this very gentle yoga. And I did that for a few months. And I was taking more and more of these gentle classes. I had several of these 45-minute classes. Um, And some of them were a little more challenging than others. Mm -hmm. And so it was about three months after I ended treatment that I decided, like, I am going to go and I'm ready to do an hour and a half yoga class. Because that was the choice. It was the 45-minute class or the hour and a half class. And I'm a kind of person who's very determined. To quote a, um, a person who used to work with me, he's like, cancer couldn't have happened to a better person. And he's like, I mean that in the best possible way. Right. <laughs> it's like, if anyone's going to get through it, like, you're going to be you able to do it. You just make a decision and do it. You're just going to do it. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to do an hour and a half yoga class. And I looked on the schedule, and I'm petrified. <laughs> like, can I really do an hour? At this point, it was still, I couldn't even walk around the block. So it's like the yoga is an option because it's sitting down and it's very relaxing and you get that meditation space. Yeah. Um, so like, okay, you can do this. I pick out, I look at the schedule. I look at when someone can watch my daughter and I find this class called Nam Yoga. And the description was completely crazy. And I was like, man, this, it's like spiritual class was with... Like spiritual class and yoga, what in the world is this going to be? <laughs> and uh, like I said, when I was young, I kind of was at the odd one out in my family. I was also odd because my family, they were spiritual and they believed in God. But at seven years old, I decided there was no such thing as God and it didn't exist. Oh, we didn't talk about, see, we, <laughs> Much, we didn't talk about didn't that. Talk I remember you that. telling yeah. me that at seven. At seven. Decided. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, like the engineering really was something that resounded with me. I'm very rational. I was very rational. Right. <laughs> and so I, the spiritual aspect of yoga, I really wanted to meditate because it was in the book that was researched that said meditation helps. Okay. But as far as, and of course, I had this amazing gratitude and this strong love and this deep connection to something I couldn't explain from having cancer. Mm. But to me, it was nothing more than hormones and emotions okay. um, and, and experience. Yeah. I still hadn't really connected to any kind of outside force or consciousness. And so I was like, all right, I'll just try the spiritual class. So I go to the class. I'm all psyched. I'm going to do the 90 minutes. And I get there, and the guy's wearing a turban and a white outfit. And I'm just like, oh, God, what's going on here? (laughs) And he gives out these sheets of paper and everyone starts singing. Oh, no. <laughs> and you don't know mantra. the song. <laughs> <laughs> that was the least of my worries. Like, I'll, I'll fake it. But um, when I was, le- the, the songs were sung in different languages, specifically um, Gurmukhi is one of them, which is a form of Sanskrit. So I'm totally cool with singing that. It was like kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But then I looked at the translations and they're all talking about God. And I was very uncomfortable. Okay. Like whether or not I was rooted in any kind of tradition, I thought my word is very sacred. And I don't want to lie. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be honest with what I'm speaking. So the idea that I would be singing about God was very uncomfortable. But 
I needed to finish the class. <laughs> that was actually more important at that time. So I just told myself, don't read the translations. Just go along with it. Like, you're going to do the class. Just take it for what it is. Um, and so the class went on, and it's, it was actually really physically demanding. We were doing a lot of movement, and it's the kind of movement that it's as hard as you can make it for yourself. Okay. So whereas I may have been the slowest moving person in class, I may have been the hardest working person in class. For, yes, for where it you was were like, physically. I, I was going back to being at Sloan when I had to make that five-block walk back to the Ronald McDonald House. Where, like my daily goal was to not need a wheelchair, and that was a horrible five-minute walk. But you work up the strength to do that, and that's what that class brought me to, like that. You're so close to your edge, and you have to find strength outside of yourself. Like I ran a marathon several years before, and it's a similar thing. Mm -hmm. Like you're at the bottom, but somehow you can push yourself further. Yep. So I, I was able to do that in the class, but I was really angry about it because it was supposed to be an easy class. It was a spiritual class. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do the 90 minutes and I'm up for a challenge, but I wasn't up for this challenge. Right. Well, there's a mental challenge and there's a physical challenge. Well, yeah. I mean, the mental challenge about, you know, working my body, but then the other part is like this guy saying all kinds of crap in class that was just really pissing me off. I was like, you can't say God and science in the same sentence. Time doesn't change speed. Like, it was like... Oh, he, everything he was saying was really bothering me. <laughs> it's like, what happened? What did I sign up for? This is not what I was into. And so I was like on the verge of mental, physical, emotional breakdown. Yeah. And then we stopped to meditate. And I had never actually, I can't say never because I, I had dabbled. I don't think I ever had a meditative experience before up until then. Like I lay in Shavasana and yoga and do some breathing. But this is a different experience where we sit down and we did some visualization. There was like this pyramid of great light. And the teacher started talking about healing. And for this moment, I was very disconnected from my physical body. Not like I was floating outside myself and looking down at myself or anything like that. Um, but I was having flashes of memories from like the last year. Wow. You know, where any one day was bigger trauma than most people have in 30 years of their life in a single day. And many of the things I even forgot, because you're on a lot of crazy drugs, ones that make you forget, but also when you have these traumatic memories, you just, you forget all about them. Yeah. And usually in the past, when I think about memories like that, it's like they hit you in the chest. It's like you, you feel like, you feel them in your stomach, you feel them in your chest. They just, they re-experience the pain. Mm -hmm. But that's not what this was like. It was like I was just watching. I was a spectator. Yeah. And then it was like I was watching them and they drove away. And the next thing I know, I'm like back in my body and I am bawling, like bawling so loud, like a little kid. And the first thing I think is like, holy crap, I am interrupting other people's meditation right now. <laughs> <laughs> I look around the room. Everyone's like quiet. I'm, I can't control is myself. Is no one even paying attention to what you're going through? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I think like I'm, I'm just like a mess right now. Yeah. Um, so I go get up and I get go in the bathroom and I'm crying so hard. I'm like, I bet everyone can still hear me going to the, you know, thinking back now and being in enough yoga classes, <laughs> no one really cares. In fact, well, I think people get pretty happy actually when yeah. you see someone have that experience because right. you know that experience is actually a huge cathartic release. Right. Uh, but right. at the time I had never had anything like that happen to yeah. me before and I was embarrassed. <laughs> and so I clean myself up and I sit back down. And we finished the meditation, and I realized at that point that I was, like, lighter. I was, like, different. It was all of that trauma was just gone. Yeah. And I was pissed. 
Oh, now you're angry. I was so angry. <laughs> well, because it's like... Well, because it worked. Because <laughs> it, well, it was really hard for me to wrap my head around. Mm. And so I went home and I thought about it. And I, I spoke to my daughter's father for a while. Um, and we really saw eye to eye on our very rational view of the universe. He's like, well, I'm really sorry this class was so horrible. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, I know I could go through years of therapy and I would not have experienced what I experienced today. Like, I am healthier than I could have been in five years from now had I never gone to this wow. class. It was such a release. It was such a release. And, you know, the only thing anyone had to offer at this time is drugs. Like, basically, you're screwed. You're going to have these mental disorders. They're normal. And just you have to wait it out. So now suddenly I had stepped into this world where I don't have to wait it out. I don't have to have post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, I don't have to live with these memories. There's a way to let go and move on and heal. So I was really upset. But <laughs> the scientist in me said, well, you can't just be against what the teacher was saying. Like, they're just a represent representative. What they say doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but what you're doing works. So just keep exploring it. <laughs> you owe it to yourself. You owe it to Kaylee. Keep going. So I kept going. And, and at this time, you were still with your, your husband yeah. at this time. Okay. Yeah. My intention after I was done with treatment was to fix my family, you know, to I wasn't going to have my daughter not be missing a parent just to lose the other one just the same. Yeah, you that were just determined cruel. to get well. I was I, determined I to get that. well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my daughter needed me. Yeah. Well, it's amazing what we do for our children. It, 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 it was such it's a gift a to be a mom. It yeah. really was, uh, I think a friend of mine gave me a book about cancer and was saying that when someone has a reason to live, their chances of survival are much greater. Because yeah. oftentimes we need a reason outside of ourselves to push ourselves further. To not give up. Yes. Yeah. So um, so this really was, this was an aha moment for you. This was an aha moment. Um, and I continue to have experiences like these Um at one point, uh, a very close friend of mine from treatment, who basically was my sister, she was in her 20s, she had the same exact cancer, same location, um, same treatment, same everything. She was doing the anti-cancer book, oh, wow. <laughs> the diet, she's yeah. doing yoga, she's doing everything, and it came back. Mm. And I was petrified. I was so scared, and it was I couldn't even feel sad for her. Because all I could think about is like, does it not matter? Does nothing matter? Like what you're doing, it's just going to come back anyway. Yeah. And later that week, I was back in the class with the crazy teacher doing the crazy things that I was now having a lot of fun with. And during the meditation, um, we were doing a visualization where it's like, you know, imagine what your greatest desire. And in that, you know, in my meditation space, I heard a phone ring. And I picked up the phone and I clearly heard the voice of a nurse from Sloan saying, Wendy, you're all clear. I'm like going to cry just thinking about it. Like, wow, wow. And it was so clear to me that my desire was to be healthy. And that was so amazing, that hope, you know, that desire. And then suddenly that melted away and I felt pure sadness for my friends without the fear. It was like the fear was the coupling of my hope with my sadness. And suddenly they were separated. And it wasn't just for that moment for my friend, but Ever since that moment, whenever I heard someone else's story, it never made me scared again. Mm. I was able to just have my hope and have my sadness as separate entities. And that was a beautiful gift. Yeah, that's a remarkable story. 
Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We are going to take one last quick break, and we will be back with Wendy Clausen, um, a technologist and leadership coach from New York. We'll be right back. Are you the parent of a daughter in middle school? If so, I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy. As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. This private, all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. Hello. Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one -on -one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hardy har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip, 
or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Uh, I'm in the studio today with Wendy Clausen, and Wendy is a technologist and a leadership coach from New York uh, with quite a story about um, discovering the um, the power, I guess, of, of Nam Yoga. And it's, it's interesting because Wendy is more of a scientist and a technical person who um, had her doubts about it. Um, and just before the break, we were talking about uh, the aha moment that you had in, in this one particular class. And let's talk about what that led you to then. It led you to some really important decisions yeah. in your life. It was almost like that was a turning point that my focus went away from just finding health and more into finding my heart. It wasn't a rational like thing that I realized in my head. It's just more like I wasn't completely consumed with fear and doubt. I was able to move forward. And, and at that time, the universe got a little, life got weird. <laughs> Suddenly things were happening and I was observing life and people in a very new way. Yeah. And people will call this mindfulness and you'll see synchronicities, which is things that are, it seems like they were lined up in some kind of divine order. Mm-hmm. And I was the person who could explain any coincidence away. Um, and now suddenly I was like, okay, this is weird. Um, and I was really being compelled by this. You start hearing this voice a little louder and it compels you to do things. It's not like it makes you do it, but more like things that you know in your heart are the right thing to do are less hard to do. You know, all of us have these callings, but we're so scared and we're so tied down to what should be and how we're supposed to act and money or fear or relationships. And then suddenly I had a bit of freedom from that. Um, And at the same time, I still was a little concerned that I had drunk Kool-Aid and I was joining a cult or something like that. (laughs) You still weren't convinced. I wasn't convinced. And so uh, I was really compelled to do training. And so I traveled to the NAM headquarters in Santa Monica to do training. And when I went there, I was really surprised that a lot of the students and the teachers there were uh, similar backgrounds. There were, you know, there was like half typical yogis and then half people more like me. 
doctors and lawyers and engineers. There were actually two researchers from Sloan Kettering who were also students and teachers. That must of have been comforting. That yeah. was huge. They actually were at that time doing studies in the pediatric work because there's, I don't want to get into it because it's yeah. a very long conversation about what they were doing, but um, it was amazing. And I was like, wow, I wish you were there when I was doing this. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I, I went on this trip and then things really changed. Um, because when I was sick, I noticed that when people got, when their cancers came back, it always happened when they went back to work. Mm-hmm. And so I had decided right when treatment ended, I wasn't going back. I wasn't going to be a programmer again. Okay. I was like, I have to leave technology because I don't, it I don't want the kid. It didn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not working. And yeah. everyone's cancer keeps coming. Like if so, I saw someone in the hospital, like, oh, I'm starting work next week. I'd start like being scared for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say I'd start praying for them. At that point, I actually wasn't ever praying. Right. Or maybe I was, but I wouldn't have called it praying or made it an active act. Right. Um, so I went on this trip and I... Things lined up, and the universe signs were so everywhere. You couldn't <laughs> and ignore they were it. Everywhere, I yeah. was like, "Oh my God, what is happening?" And I just, I drank the Kool Aid. I did it. I did it, and I was like, "Okay, life is extraordinary and crazy." And I met this man there, who actually we had met several times before. And all of these things lined up with him, and we decided to start a company, and I was going to be the CTO, and he was going to be the CFO or whatever, and we, we got together. Um, and I went, right, I was going to go back in technology, and I wasn't scared, which is pretty tremendous. Yeah. But the most tremendous thing out of leaving this is that through cancer and through the challenges that happened in my relationship after that, five weeks after I came back from this trip, I left my husband. I was... Uh, I decided I went to go see my my sister. She just had a baby. Oh my goodness, this was like, I thought the day that I had gone and been told I had to give up my daughter was hard, but this was a really hard day because she happened to have given birth in the same hospital where I was diagnosed. So there were like a lot of memories that came up when I walked into the hospital, which I hadn't even thought were, <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it. Um, but also I was basically, to- like I was in menopause from when treatment started and my period hadn't come back. Um, and the chances of me being a mother again were very small. Right. Um, so, which by the grace of God, now I have to say I'm pregnant right yes. now. Yes, okay, so. thank you. I didn't <laughs> want to say I it. I see it on your face. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay, a whole different story. Okay. So I go to the hospital, I see my sister, and I see this baby, and I walk into the room, and I thought I saw my dad holding the baby, and it wasn't my dad. And then I was like, why isn't my dad alive? Oh, if he was here, he would have taken care of me, and I'm freaking out. But my sister just had a baby. So I'm like, okay, Wendy. Suck it up. Be happy. This is a happy occasion. (laughs) Like, drop it. So I walk in the room, and I'm doing fine until her husband walks in. And he looks at her. He's like, with love and caring. And he's like, you look so much healthier. I'm so happy you look healthy. And, like, he meant it. And, like, I hadn't so much have gotten a cup of tea the whole time I was sick, let alone someone, you know, being there with me. Yeah. And I'm like, I deserve that. I want that. He was like... I don't need to be in this relationship. Like this is the love that I want. Yeah. And so I. Uh, so it, you saw that in your in your sister's husband, just the the yeah, it was the gentleness of gift. a man. Yeah. Yeah, just that he was there with her, and he was looking at her with devotion. Yeah. He felt pain when she felt pain, and he felt joy when she felt joy. Yeah. And I had Everyone never experienced that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to. Yeah. So again, another aha moment for me. Oh my God, that I was know, huge. I know what I need to do. It's you know, a- cancer did not give me that. Like I left cancer completely ready to go back to 
that relationship. Yeah. You know, completely ready to go back and continue that pattern I have of what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? Yeah. Um, and not thinking about myself at all. Yeah. Let's talk about today, today. where you are today <laughs> and, and all the good things that are happening. And you're and yes, you're expecting and you're um, you're with a wonderful man. Yeah. The same man who wrote that message <laughs> to me <laughs> saying he would take care of me when I was at uh, Ronald McDonald House. Um, so it's really life turned into a bit of a fairy tale. Um, and the most amazing things happen when I opened my heart, because from that point after I left him, I just, I could tell you stories. I had done such crazy things and people are like, what are you doing? My family's gotten used to it. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, when it's in your heart and you know, you have to do it somehow you find a way. Yeah. And that has just proven itself time and time again. And so when I started that company with my that partner, we, we did it for a while and it, it ultimately wasn't successful. And at one point I hired an executive coach, Kelly Black, who we both know. Okay. Yes. Um, and Kelly worked with me and in working with her, I realized I didn't need, I didn't need that company anymore. And she said, you know, Wendy, you could be a really great executive coach with your background. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time, like a new client kind of fell into my lap um, and she That's mentored all it takes, me. One client, right? That yeah, first she client. she mentored me, and it was awesome. You know, coaching a manager, helping them get um, engage and mobilize their employees, and mm -hmm. then I was coaching a technical team too. And um, with her help, and then um, I worked with the person who taught her too. And it's kind of like I created this triangle of expertise in technology, and then in also communication, human behavior, and understanding mindfulness from all the travels and just life experience I had. And then finally, with the business component of the executive coaching. Yeah. And that's how Just Add Wendy was created. Yeah, it's wonderful. And they it goes together. So, uh, you know, the, the, the business and, and the mindfulness, mm -hmm. if, if you don't have both going on, right, you probably won't be successful. That's what I find so interesting yeah. about the Well, coaching. a lot of people are successful and they're not necessarily mindful. You can find success in this world just based on physical and rational things. People do it all the time, yeah. right? So it's not mutually exclusive, but you find joy. You yeah. find your life's work in finding your heart. It's not necessarily about money. Yeah. It's not necessarily about a lot of people knowing who you are. It's about being in that place where you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. That's the difference. Um, let's talk about your book. When did you decide to write your book? I decided to write my book a long time ago. Um, I had been traveling and uh, I was... I had been meeting with Dr. Levery, the founder of Nam Yoga, and we had an appointment that day. And that morning, I just was meditating, and something came to me. I filled up like an entire notebook with basically a journal of the story. And, and had I, you always been a writer or someone who you know, uh, wrote things? I down? did. I did writing when I was younger a little bit, mm -hmm. and I I had a blog, a technical blog, before I was sick that I think was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I did a bit of speaking before I was sick too on technical topics. Uh, but I was never like a, a novelist or anything like mm -hmm. that. And so I went and I told Dr. I'm like, I think I have to write my story. He's like, yeah, write your story. I'll buy your book. I was yeah, like, and okay. I love the title, From Head to Heart. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's what happened. It was like I was, I walked from my head to my heart. You know, that's what becoming spiritual is about. We have, you can look at a lot of different definitions of spirituality. But for me, it's about living inside of your heart. Mm-hmm. And the, so the book is, is it your life story or is it more um, 
the topic of the Nam Yoga and the, um, you know, the practices that you use. Yeah, it's more, it's not really focused on Nam at all, because I think there's many ways to get from here to there. Mm -hmm. And I think when you focus on one way to get there, it alienates everyone else, because Nam Yoga was the path for me, and it's potentially the path for other people, but there's many, many tools out there. There's many ways to find consciousness. There's many ways to become more mindful. So the book is more about my emotional experiences, the challenges I had, my path to finding health, and just about leaving that comfort zone and trying things to see how you find your heart, because it's there for every single person, like within yourself is everything you need to be healthy and be in your heart. Yeah. Well, your your story is such a perfect example of that. I mean, you, <laughs> you were in an unhealthy place mm-hmm. and you had an aha moment and you, you developed the strength because you were open to new ideas. Um, and I think that's wonderful. We only have a moment left. I, I'd love for you, if there's a listener, if there's someone listening who is in a place where they really need to to have that push um, to make a change for a more healthy direction, what would you say to them? Just do it. <laughs> just do it. No, that's, uh, it's hard. Um, look, just watch. Be an observer of your life. Yeah. And be an observer of yourself on the inside. And and sometimes, you know, we look for big changes and radical shifts, but sometimes it's just the smallest things, the most tiny decision that can really just change your life. Yeah. Like that, that's great advice. It's about it's about listening. Yeah, right? it's about listening. It's and it's it's quiet. also about change doesn't come in these big chunks, usually. Like in my story they did, but I was I, I went through a really extreme circumstance. Right. But for most people it's just Changing the little things, the things that eat your lunch every day. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, Wendy, thank you so much for coming in. I wish we had more time. It's a great (laughs) story. And I encourage um, anybody who's listening to get in touch with Wendy, which, by the way, what is your contact information? You can contact me at wendy at justaddwendy.com. Justaddwendy.com. Yeah, or go to my site, justaddwendy.com. Great.com. Okay, that's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with me and learn more about the show, feel free to reach out to our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone.